about you, but if I was stuck on a desert island and I could only bring three others along with me, one of those three that I would bring would be my dog. And I know you're probably wondering how cute he is, so there's a picture for you. But I love my dog. And if you've been here at New Hope before, you would already know, because the amount of times that that little puppy has helped me teach people about Jesus through being in my stories is ridiculous. I love my dog. And I remember when I first got him, just how excited I was over planning every single detail when it came to him. I was so excited to pick out what kind of collar he was gonna wear, what kind of leash would he have. But most importantly, I was most excited to give him his name. And I chose to name him only after what could possibly be one of the greatest country music artists of our generation, being Thomas Rhett. Hello, anybody here like, let's be honest, just for fun. You like country music and you're like, girl, you knew how to name him. Oh, that's not a lot, okay. <laughs> how many of you are like, girl, please, like there's so many better genres, do not talk about this. It's okay, we're in church, you can be honest. Okay, okay. Well, I personally, I'm so glad that we can be in church and we can all be in one place, exist under one roof and worship the same God. But hence, this is why I named my sweet little dog, Rhett. But what I wasn't prepared for when I first got Rhett was just how hard it would be for some people to recognize him by his name. There was this one time when we went to a McDonald's drive-thru. All right, so we pulled up to the window. Rhett was on my shoulder. This friendly worker opened up the windows and he was super nice, not Chick-fil-A nice, but still pretty nice. And he goes, oh, what a cute little puppy. I said, thanks, his name is Rhett. And he goes, oh, I love Rex. And I was like, no, it's Rhett. You know, like R-H-E-T-T, find out what it means to me, it's Rhett. And he looked back at me with the most puzzled face and went, oh, rat. <laughs> like, no, who names a dog rat? Okay, I was like, no, but I just didn't realize how hard it would be for some people to simply recognize him by his name. Now hear me, it's one thing if this happens to you and your dog. Okay, but this is a whole nother thing if it happens to you. My name is Abby, pretty common name, to get a little creative with it, my parents be put an E before the Y. I thought my name was simple. Okay, I thought it was simple. But I remember there was this one day when I was in school and we had to grade one another's test. So once you were finished grading, you would call out the person that you'd have and they would come take their test from you. So I finished grading and I had this guy named Lucky. So I called Lucky, Lucky came, got the test, pretty simple. Well, I'm standing in the class and I'm realizing that no one is calling my name. So I start to think to myself like, did I turn my test in? Did my teacher lose my test somehow? And as all these thoughts are going through my mind, I realize that I've become one of the few people without a test. And that was the moment when someone in the left corner caught my attention. There was this guy with all confidence in the world. He's holding up a test, going obey, obey, and I was like, surely this man is not trying to say Abby. So I go up to him and I'm like, you trying to say Abby? Like Ferguson? And he looks at the test, looks at me and goes, oh, my bad. And gives me the test back, never to talk to him again. How hard is it for somebody to simply recognize someone for exactly what it is? Have you ever noticed 
just how hard it can be to recognize something for exactly what it is. Why is it so hard for us to simply recognize something for exactly what it is? It can be written straightforward for us, clear as day, and yet we can still miss it. And we can do this in little things, but we can also do this in big things. What do I mean by this exactly? Well, I'm glad you asked. John 3.16. It'll be on your screens, and I'm going to be honest with you. Most of you have probably heard of this verse before. If you didn't, that's awesome. But if you did, I want to challenge you right now to read this verse like you've never read it before in your entire life. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. See, it's written clear as day, God so loved the world. We have confidence that God loved the world. And yet, we can still wrestle with the identity of what that means exactly for you and for me. See, it's one thing to recognize that God loved the world, but it's a whole other thing to recognize exactly what that means for you and for me. And hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me. God loves you. Meaning that the most powerful, most beautiful, most majestic being in all creation cherishes you so much so that he gave up everything to know you. He knows you by name. He knows your story. He holds every single tear that you cry. That God really loves you. And yet if you're anything like me, we can hear that and respond with, well, I know. Like I know that God loves me. And yet, we can still miss it completely. See, we're in part two of our current series, For the Loved and the Lonely. And I wonder if as I say that title out loud, is there one word that sticks out a little bit more to you than the other? And I wonder if maybe, just maybe, one of those words you hear, but you're throwing it to the side because you're simply covering it up with, well, I know. I don't need to hear a sermon on that. That's why tonight, I don't want us to simply recognize that we're loved, but I wanna take it a step further and talk about how to mark our lives by it, how to recognize what it means to get this live loved. See, it's not just enough that we know that we're loved, we must live like it. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up with me to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, we're going to be starting in verses 7 through 19. But since you're turning there and, you know, it can be taking a while, we don't want to make it awkward, so I'm going to go ahead and give you some context while we're waiting for you. But 1 John, it's this book that's known for its simplicity. See, John was writing to a doubting group of believers after they had been led astray by some false teachers. So what this text is doing is it's reaffirming the core values of Christianity. 
And it's saying to us that if we do not mark our lives by these core values, then we are not true Christians. But I would go ahead and take it a step further, saying if we do not mark our lives by these attributes, then we are not tapping into the fullness of what God would actually wanna declare over our lives. And so that's why this text is so important. So if you're ready for the word of the Lord tonight, I wanna hear you say, I'm ready. Are you ready? ready. Okay, if you're not ready, say, whoa, 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 wait. Okay, bad news for you, it's good news for you. It's gonna be on the screens. So we got you covered. First John says this, dear friends, let us continue to love one another. For love comes from God. And anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God. For God is love. And God showed us how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. Don't miss this part. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, his spirit lives in us as proof that we live in him and he in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the father sent his son to be the savior of the world. All who declare that Jesus is the son of God have God living in them and they live in God. We know how much God loves us and we have come to put our trust in his love for God is love and all who live in love live in God and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we'll not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus is here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we're afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he first loved us. I wonder if while we're reading that text, if you saw the word that was repeated over and over and over again. It was this word, love. In 1 John, it's written 46 times the word love. In the entire book of that Bible, it's written 46 times. So the message of John was quite simple. And it's this, you are loved. The question becomes, well, do you believe it? And do you believe it enough to mark your life by it? See, it's one thing to recognize that we're loved, but it's a whole other thing to live like we're loved. And what 1 John is doing is it's giving us some permissions, some freedoms that as children who are loved by God, we should have as we live in this world. And so today I wanna to talk to us about three of those freedoms found in the text so that we can establish them into the rhythm of our lives and truly discover how we are to live loved. Now, a little disclaimer, because I already see some of you dudes in particular looking at me saying, oh, live loved. That's beautiful, that's beautiful. And see, if we're not careful, we can say, oh, well, that's just some feel good words. But don't miss it, this is going to war on something that's already ours. If you are in Christ, God loves you. 
The enemy knows it, and he knows that he can't take it. So he tries to get you to forsake it. But we must go to battle in taking back the thing that is already ours so that we can truly live not just free, but free indeed. So now that we got that out of the way, let's talk about John's first freedom that he gives us. If you're taking notes, go ahead and write this one down. We're free to live fearlessly. We're free to live fearlessly. If you notice in verse 18, it said, such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. See, because we are loved by God, our lives should be marked by a fearlessness. See, we may say that we know that we're loved by God, but is your life marked by this fearlessness in Christ? I'm gonna be really honest with you guys. As I was preparing for this message, I had a real difficult time. And I love young adults and I love so many of you so much and I have your prayer requests written down and so I'm praying and I'm like, God, I need you to give me a word for these people. And yet no matter how hard I try, everything that I had planned wasn't coming together. And I felt prompted in my spirit to talk about this whole subject of living like we're loved, but no matter how hard I try, I just couldn't get it. Well, on that night, I had on the calendar that I was supposed to go and have dinner with a couple of girls that come to young adults. And so I shut my laptop before I left, and I said, God, you know how much I love the young adults, and I need your help to teach this message to me first before you'd have me teach it to your people. So then I went off to the dinner, and me and my friends, we're talking all about our lives and work. And I decided to share with them this funny story that happened to me a few weeks back. I was talking about how I was with this group of like these super intellectual people. All right. And whenever I'm in a space like that, I start to feel a little unqualified. Like, oh, how can I fit into what they're saying? I don't know those things that you're talking about in the brain, but I'm going to still squeeze in, you know. And so I'm trying to have this conversation with these people when all of a sudden I just feel so unqualified. And so I start to do something that I like to say I don't normally do, but the truth is I do it. I get a little bit awkward. And I was telling them about how this group asked me a simple question. They said, hey, Abby, you go to church in Durham, right? What's a good restaurant to go to in Durham? Pretty simple. So I answered it and they followed up with, well, what's your favorite thing at that place? And do you know what I said? The soap. <laughs> Who says the soap? And so all these people start laughing and I'm like, I'm just gonna go now. And I was telling this to my friends and they like, you started laughing at me. And I'm like, praise God, you know, I might not fit in with those group of people and I may never see them again, but I'm glad we could all laugh about this right now. When all of a sudden one of my friends, she stops and goes, hold on, wait right there. Did you just hear the way that you spoke to yourself? She's like, I think we should actually attack what you just said with some scripture. Because what you said didn't sound like you knew you were loved by God. And I looked, like who told this girl the title of my message? <laughs> and don't miss it, I started to feel this shame, right? Because she comes to young adults and in just a couple of days, I'm gonna be talking about this subject matter. And what if she uses it to try to shame me? 
But you know what that sweet village of mine did? They started speaking scriptures over me. And it reminded me that in our lives, if we're not careful, we'll end up giving up way more ground than the enemy could ever take from us. See, if you follow Jesus, we follow a real God who is real mighty and real powerful. And that makes us on the hit list for hell. And when the devil's after us, we don't need to be leaving these little trails of, this is how you can attack me. This is my insecurity. But if we're not careful, we end up giving way more ground than he would ever even take from us. And I believe that for me and for you, it's time to let go of our insecurity deficiency. God says that there is perfect love and the perfect love expels all fear. Do you know the only one who keeps track of your sin and brings it to God night and day and day and night is the devil. Revelation 12 says day and night, the enemy accuses us right to God. But see, the enemy is an accuser, but God is a redeemer. And if you come to God and you confess and you come clean, the redeemer heals you and the shame must flee because this is a place of perfect love. I put it in my notes like this. Don't you dare listen to the one with death on his breath when you have a father who speaks so much worth over you. You are so valuable to the kingdom of heaven. Don't listen to the one with death on his breath. See, we're free to live fearlessly. So is your life marked by not just knowing that you're loved, but living like you are loved and that you are who God says you are. So first John teaches us that we are to live fearlessly, but here's the second thing. And just so I know we're awake tonight, I want you to go ahead and read this next point out loud with me. It'll be on your screens. Here we go. We're free to bless rather than impress. We're free to bless rather than impress. When you walk into a room, what's your focus on? Is it on God and his people? Or are you unintentionally focusing on you? As you think through, well, what are they thinking about me? See, notice in the text, I love this. It says, dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. See, God tells us that we are loved. And the very next thing he does is he gives us permission to go and tell other people how much they are loved by God. When we know that we are loved by God, we are marked by a fearless life. And because we're not anxious, we have the ability to walk into a room seeking to bless rather than to impress. And for a long time in my life, I actually got this wrong. So I would walk into room after room after room, just seeking the approval of others, waiting until they, valued, they validated me or they told me that I was valuable or that they told me, hey, I see you and you have worth. But what I was doing in those moments is I was unintentionally fixating my focus on myself, consumed with what other people may be thinking of me. And you know what breaks my heart the most? I missed out on opportunities to remind someone else 
how God thinks of them. We are called to bless, not impress. Stop looking around for opportunities where people can validate you and start looking for opportunities where you can tell them about the value of Christ in them through your father. That is who God says you are. You are accepted, you are redeemed, and God says, I see you. Author Ben Store, he says this, he says, love embrace becomes love extended. When we embrace the God love that God has for us, we are free to extend that love to other people. And could you imagine what this type of living can do? Could you imagine how different our world must be when we accept the love God has for us and freely share it with other people? Could you imagine the work cultures that would change where we work? Could you imagine the conversations that you have with other people? Could someone end up coming to church because of you? Could someone end up choosing not to end their life because you were walking so close with the Holy Spirit that you spoke exactly what they needed at the right time? Love embraced becomes love extended. And a great theologian once said that your life as a Christian should make non-believers question their disbelief in God. Do you live like that? Do you live in a way where people go, man, that girl's got a lot against her, but I don't know how she just keeps coming back again. Or that dude, how does he have that much energy and is joyful at every single hour in the day? He follows this Jesus. He goes to this thing on Tuesday night. What does he have that I don't have? Jesus. Does your life make non-believers question their disbelief in God? That's the lives that we should be living. Don't give people doubt that living a life for Jesus means no life change. No, show them what it really means. Our lives are changed from the inside out. And when we embrace the love that God has for us, we in return will see God change the lives of those around us. I got one that's good. Anyone else? Okay, thanks for letting me know you're here tonight. So God's word, it tells us, remember the first thing, we're free to live what? Fearlessly. And the second thing, we're free to live, oh, we're not free, we are free to live, but we are free to bless rather than impress. impress. Here's the last thing, if you're taking notes, get ready to write this one down. We're free to release the pressure. We're free to release the pressure. One of my favorite quotes is by author Lisa Turkis. And in her book, Uninvited, she says this. She says, God's love isn't based on me. It's simply placed on me. And it's the place from which I should live loved. See, we live in this culture where love has really become conditional. All right, if you do X, then you'll be worthy of Z. But what that does is it creates this performance-based love that I only have value if I do this that I'm only seen if I'm climbing this ladder of success. But what do I do if I fall? But God comes and he changes the narrative of our culture. He says this, he says that this is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent us his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. 
Don't miss this. You are loved. And it's not because of something that you've done. It's not even because you love God. No, the text said that you are loved simply because God loves you. And he made the first move in pursuing you by sending his one and only son, just so that you might know him. And hear me, God's love is strong. He will pursue you no matter how many times you run back to your past. He will pursue you and seek you out even after you did that thing again last night. You're still a daughter and you're still a son and God loves you. God may want better for you, but he still loves you. And his love isn't based, it's placed. So what we're called to do is receive his love and then release the pressure, knowing that the king of the world has my back. And if we were never holding up our relationship with God to begin with, how could we ever think that we were gonna let him down? You know, one of my favorite things about our young adults ministry is it never ceases to amaze me just what God is doing right here in this room and just how much he is seeking and reaching his people. I remember it's been about three years since I got a call from one of our young adults and she was sobbing. She had done some things where she had run back to her past and she was having some struggles again with alcohol, but on this night when she went to it, she ended up getting in trouble with the law and getting a label placed upon her life. And what that girl could have done, she could have never come back again. She could have believed the lie that all she was was her struggle, but she didn't. That girl got accountability. She got honest in telling people how they could pray for her. And she made it a habit to come weekly to the house of God to worship. And through that girl today, I've seen her lead countless women to Jesus. There are a bunch of women in our life groups because of this girl. Literally, I counted. I tried counting before this message, and I couldn't count. There was that many people. We have a guy in our young adults ministry who back in high school, he had this incident where he received a diagnosis for life. And what that guy could have done is he could have believed the lie that all he was was his illness. But he didn't do that. No matter how many times he spent away from church, he always knew that he was welcome back. And he kept coming back. And little by little, I watched this guy live a life where he knows that his diagnosis doesn't define him. And I've watched how he signed up to lead high school guys so that he can be a light to them for Jesus. What these people had in common is they didn't believe the lie that they had to be good enough in order to get to God. God loves you. And his love is placed, not based. And if you question if God loves you, look at the cross. His sacrifice silences the shame. And we're not called to live in our own strength. God remains faithful even when we're faulty. And because God loves us, we should live fully loved and fully free. We don't just recognize that we are loved by God. We mark our lives by living fearlessly, by showing up to bless rather than impress, and releasing the pressure, knowing that if God is love, then he is the one that never fails, and he won't stop now. Would you guys go ahead and stand up with me?
I just want to pray a prayer over you guys tonight. If you feel led, go ahead and open up your hands like this to release the pressure and receive what the King of Heaven would want to speak over your life today. Father God, we come before you as your children. And God, we thank you that your word, clear as day, says that this is real love. And real love is that you sent your one and only son to die for us. You gave what we could not give so that we might know you. Thank you, God, that this is an everyday truth. And God, right now, I just wanna speak over all of your sons and all of your daughters, the ones who know they're already loved and the ones who needed to be reminded of it tonight. God, I pray that you would remind them that you and you alone are their firm foundation. They don't need that guy or that girl to try to confirm it. God, you alone can make them stand strong. So we pray over this room. We pray over our worship. We pray that we would praise you, God, above all else. Father, we love you and we trust you. It's in Jesus' name that we all said, amen.